This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. <laughs> Adversity is an opportunity to grow, to heal, to become and to discover, and most certainly, to build. Charles Swindoll said, Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Aya is most interested in the power of the response to life's happenings. It is through the conviction of So What Now that Aya was founded. Valerie Atelis interviews Mia Dunlap, the founder of Aya, Adversity Yields Audacity, school culture consultant, the Audacity talk show host, coach, and writer. Mia Dunlap grew up in housing projects of Chicago from age six through adulthood, proudly graduating salutatorian of her eighth grade class and in the top 25% from Gwendolyn Brooks College Prep Academy, she left Chicago in 2006 at age 18 to attend Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, knowing she could not afford the tuition. Dunlap received institutional scholarships, donations, and loans to matriculate. During her journey at Spelman, she spent her eight, ten-week summers doing internships in East Palo Alto, California, teaching at Bayshore Christian Ministries in Washington, D.C. as a youth advocate with the Children's Defense Fund and in Atlanta, Georgia with Forever Family, an organization for children of imprisoned parents. In winter 2010, Mia toured Ghana, West Africa for 12 days with Spelman College's Sister Chapel. As a first-generation college graduate in spring 2010, Mia earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in English and went on to teach at a boys' charter school in Brooklyn, New York, while simultaneously earning her Master's of Science degree in childhood education. She followed her calling to work with underserved communities of people, a teacher, dean of students, and later a principal, Mia has discovered that writing, speaking, coaching, and educating are all interconnected as her calling. Dunlap's favorite quote is, So tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Meet Mia at miadunlap.com. Here is the interview with Mia Dunlap. In your own words, who is Mia Dunlap? I would have to say that Mia Dunlap, I am a spiritual being on a journey of becoming and also unbecoming. That is both learning and unlearning who I am and what I've been taught 
I am open and trusting Mm -hmm. as much as I am learning how to be open and trusting. Being both, right. Uh, Wow. I love that, Mia. Beautifully said. I remember a quote that says, uh, we can be a masterpiece and a work of art and also be coming at the same time. How did you come to this wisdom and, and this insights? How did you come to these understandings about life? That's a really good question. I don't know that I can name a specific place, thing, experience. I do know that I have had a heart for listening, that I listen with my heart. And I think that's part, I'm getting chills responding to this. Yeah. I don't think I've been like this before. Yeah, I think it's from being able to see myself as a listener and a both a teacher and a student mm. and always something available for me to learn. That very much sounds like uh, self-awareness, self-understanding at a deeper level. So, yeah, thank you for being you, Mia. We need more of this natural wisdom realized in, in different bodies <laughs> at this time. How do you define audacity? Audacity is courage. It's bravery. It's being scared and listening to the fear, listening to the scared parts of us and being uh, wise enough to choose from it versus choosing out of it. How do we both feel our fear and do the thing that we're terrified of? if that is the next highest calling for us. And if it's not, audacity is also being obedient to the fear that is potentially trying to protect us. And so what I've learned is there's no one way to have audacity except to be available to what's possible for us and to choose it, even if it's uh, scary. Can you describe that for me? What does it look like to face healthy fears and to also be aware of unhealthy fears. Yeah, I love your verbiage, Valeria, around dancing. And I think that really is a dance with fear that in a lot of ways, fear is a teacher, Mm -hmm. that it communicates something, that something feels dangerous, that it's trying to protect us, that um, something is too big or too small. And I see fear and experience fear as information. And so if I see the information as hazardous, that if I don't do this thing, then X will be the next case scenario. Or a healthy way of looking at it could be, hmm, what are you trying to teach me? And thanking it. Thank you for trying to tell me. Thank you for trying to protect me. And I got this. And I think unhealthy is... Thank you. You know, I'm terrified and I'm not going to do it because I may be embarrassed if I fail or I may be my ego may be shot if I don't do well at this thing. Yeah, I think it's going back to this piece around listening is being able to listen to the things that fear is trying to teach us and tell us. That makes sense to me and reminds me of intuition. Is that something that we have? using to access. Love the, that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And talk to me for a moment about your spiritual practices and beliefs, Mia. 
You know what? This is an interesting question. <laughs> I would say that I grew up deeply rooted in the Christian church yeah. and neither my parents or my grandparents were a part of a church. So mm-hmm. I grew up independently following a friend of mine who I saw going to church and I became really curious about it. And from the age of 10, I was in the church three times a week. Neither my parents, as I said, or my grandparents went, were interested, were engaged. And so that became my life where I literally say I grew up in the church through college. And there was a, such a powerful pivot that I experienced in college uh, where I knew that I needed the church for the time that it was there. And there was a shift happening where I realized that my relationship with God and church was changing and I needed to change with it. Right. And there was a grace around and ease into it that I appreciated when I was in my early, early 20s. And what I would say now my spiritual practice is, is my intuition and being able to literally touch my chest where my heart is um, beneath and, and touch God mm-hmm. and honor that God and that God voice and that God wisdom that is me, that is within me and to follow and allow that to surface. And so I stopped searching for God out there and realized that there is God in here. What is true power to you? What do you see as power? Power is authenticity, which is also a loaded word, but I think power is authenticity. Power is our resonant and real voice. And I think power is honoring the God, going back to the spiritual practice, the God, God that is within us, that power looks different for different people. And the beauty is when we're able to access what's truest and most beautiful for ourselves, that that's real power. And the purpose of the human experience, do you see a destination for that? What do you think that is? You know what? I don't know. I think I wrestle with this so much. What is, why are we here? What, why am I here? Right? That's a real question that surfaces for me sometimes. Sometimes it feels really clear that I am here to be a part of a spiritual and human experience on this planet but I, I'm left with the question to what end? And I don't know. Right. It's for experience sake that we get to have a culmination of beautiful experiences together. And that's it. Yeah, being the experience and the, the experience of being here, being also the destination. Would you be yeah. satisfied with your life and everything that's happening in this moment, if that was true? In this moment, yes. I, I'm currently on a journey of traveling and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little later, but I'm traveling. I gave up my apartment back in Atlanta at the top of June. And I decided, why do I have an apartment right now? I have a remote job. I can travel from state to state and experience experience states and cities in the way that I've been interested in. And so I do a lot of writing and journaling by the water and I often sit with, and I've written letters to death and said, if you've decided that this, if we have a contract, um, I believe that we have contracts with death. If our contract is now, I would understand. And not that in a morbid way or that I'm 
feel ready to go. It's like, this is such a beautiful place where I am that I'm actively choosing my life. And what feels really, it's not exciting. It feels soft and gentle and it feels peaceful. That's the word that I'm looking for. It feels peaceful. Satisfied if life was only about a collection of beautiful experiences. Mm. What do you love most about being in a human body? Oh, this is a fun one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I love the transformational relationships that I get to have with this body. Yeah. That I can remember back to what my relationship with my body was like when I was 13 and 14 and the way that has shifted. My word for this year is, I have two words. One is sexy and the other is connected. Mm -hmm. And as I say those words out loud right now, I see the connection between the two in a way that I hadn't before. But sexy was really about how do I get in touch with my own sensuality and my own feminism um, and femininity in a way that I had not had access to or felt accessible. It's not felt accessible to me. So the beautiful way that I get to be in this body and have different relationships and different seasons with it. One of your the materials you sent at the blog post, I think, yeah, that it was a blog post. You say we are capable of living a life that is deeply fulfilling and juicy and creative. And anytime we are not living that, it is possible to choose it. Talk to me about your own experience with not just change as you have been in the, the journey, the changing or transforming journey, but also with this idea of deeper fulfillment and uh, creativity and joy. I love that quote. Um, I have you, I don't know if you read the book Untamed. It's one of my eight. It's by Glennon Doyle. Right. No, not yet. It's a phenomenal read. And she uses this this question to really guide her life. And the question is something with a uh, connected one that I asked, which is, you know, what's the most beautiful and truest life you can choose for yourself? Or what's the most beautiful and truest next step mm-hmm. that where you are? And it just reminds me of the way that I live my life, which is what is the next juiciest story that I can create in my life? What what do you want next? And I remember being really young and not having access to those kind of choices and feeling really helpless. Right. And the choice wasn't really in my, it didn't feel like I had the choice in my hands. And so now that I do, and now that I'm empowered to hold the choice, that at any moment that my experience is different from the kind of experience that I want to have, that I get to choose it to be different, even if the choice is in mindset, even if the choice is in shifting the way that I think about something. It makes me think about choice in a different way or the feeling of choice as being open to change our perspective. It's like it has to do with the shift in perspective, right? By doing that, we can kind of create this space so we can see more. It's almost like this a shift in perspective broadens and, and widens our, our view so we can see more of the options we already have or have had all along. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, I love that. And that we are 
rarely being taught something new, but we're being reminded of the mm. thing that's up us. The question that I often ask, what it takes and what drives us to shift and to open up to life and, and see more? Have you found some answers for this question? You know, I would like to think that it is that suffering is not required. Right. I would love if we could choose in some ways that we don't have to first suffer in order to have these kinds of epiphanies. Right. I have not experienced that truth uh, and I have not seen that, but I yearn for that to be true for other generations to come and other people who are becoming and unbecoming and, and going that we don't have to first suffer. It does not feel fair that we first have to suffer in order to learn. And I get it, True. but especially as a, a young person being so helpless, I remember feeling like, Oh, this must be a movie. I don't really feel alive. Yeah. I feel like I'm in the middle of a movie. Right. And later to be able to look back and say, my goodness, how resilient young girl you were, but I would give anything for her not to have to be resilient. I love the way you, you say that. You said it many times uh, during our conversation today, unbecoming, mm. unlearning, unbecoming. That's very inspiring, Mia. <laughs> it might be what we need to do, really. <laughs> yeah. Unlearn so many things that we have learned. Yeah, yeah um, because I think that there, to your point about suffering or to the question around that, that our ancestors and our foremothers and the folks that raised us and took yeah. care of us yeah. also likely suffered. And they are, and we are often teaching from our pain before the healing. So we're giving messages and uh, requiring things before from other people before we ourselves have healed. Yeah. And so they have to do the unlearning of our unhealed messages that mm. we gave to So you are the founder of AYA, Adversity Yields Audacity. So talk to me about that and also the, uh, the Audacity talk show you host. Yeah, ironically, the name of the talk show and the name of the company is the opposite of what I just communicated to you yeah. about suffering yeah. uh, needing to happen. Right. But given that we're on this planet right now where suffering is true, that I want to be able, have wanted to be able to do something with that suffering. And so what do we do with adversity? What do we do with our suffering? And I offer that we can shift it to audacity, that there's something that can be done with it that's powerful and empowering. And so that's what I wanted to share from, from Aya. What an interesting process life is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so Aya really is an opportunity for youth and young adults to um, use their skills and use their adversity to create what they want in their lives, to have the audacity to, and they fill in the blank, um, given their adversity. And so it really is how do we get to our choice points in our lives And the Audacity show was really um, a central part in that conversation. It was a central part in the organization of, hmm, where have people put their choice points? Yeah. And so we brought people on who are 30 and under at the time who have experienced major suffering and major adversity 
and ask the question, what do you do with it? Do you also suggest some healing methods, techniques, insights when it comes to suffering at this level? Or this is um, just a a foundation, um, kind of a ground for inspiration? There is a coaching portion to this work. And there are offerings of different healing methods. And so what I, my major request is that we don't stop at coaching. Mm -hmm. That is one piece of a much bigger puzzle and that there are so many healers on the planet and we get to tap into the kind of healing that we need for ourselves. There is no one size fits all that I can't apply an over-the-counter medicine to your suffering. That your suffering is personal and that my work is to help you figure out what is it that I need to heal? What is my medicine? What is the practice or the practices that I need to embody and embrace for my healing journey? That requires that self-knowledge, that self-awareness and listening to the heart, doesn't it? It goes back to that. Absolutely. And when we can meet ourselves and when I can meet myself, then I'm able to meet other people mm. in their suffering and in their work because I am continuing to meet myself. Do you believe in the practice of unconditional self-love and also the realization of that? You know what? I do. I do believe in this deeply. I heard an idea that challenged the this idea that I believe. And so I'm grappling with it in my life currently. Yeah. And what someone offered was we get to not love people and we get to not love parts of people Mm -hmm. and we also get to not love parts of ourselves Mm. and I struggle with that because my thought is I don't I don't get to not love parts of myself Mm. and their their offering was are we being honest like we don't want to not love ourselves we don't want to have that experience but if we got really honest are there parts of ourselves that if we could, we would cut off? If we mm-hmm. had the opportunity and it was okay with the world mm-hmm. that we cut something off of ourselves, mm-hmm. would we do? And my answer would be yes, I would. There would be parts of myself that I would say, oh, I don't need this. Well, no, thank you. But I'm mm-hmm. to love it because it's mine. And so I think it does me great justice to identify the parts that are hard for me to love Mm. and to nurture them and see them because they belong to me. So to nurture them and see them um, and be honest, Mm. but also not cut anything off because I want to be whole and I am whole. And so I embrace even the parts that are hard to love. Talk to me for a moment, me about your experience in Ghana. It was March 2010. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and the moment that you just said that I had a wave of goosebumps go over my body. Yeah. I remember standing in enslaved people's dungeon yeah. and the ground felt in the walls and the in the cave it really felt like uh, the saying that if these walls could talk felt like they were weeping that, that if they could talk in fact they the walls would weep and not talk and so I remember standing in Kumasi 
in Ghana in one of the slave castles. They call slave castles, but that where a place where enslaved people were housed and held. And I wept. I screamed and I shuddered and I just cried. I was in community with other women from my institution and we, many of us had our own different experiences and mine was, I also wept with the walls and I also wept with the experience that came over me. I was 10 days in, in Ghana, maybe longer, maybe 10 to 15 days in Ghana and I remember leaving and feeling like, A, I was home. I, it was the first time it felt like, oh, I, I know what home feels like. I just left it. And I didn't know that I was home until I left. It felt, it was like, oh, I'm leaving home. My body felt like that. And, um, yeah, I, it was, it was breathtaking in the most beautiful and the deepest and most profound ways. Do you believe that that has to do with um, ancestry? This is something that was felt in the body, right, Mia, too, uh, in the sense of DNA, almost at the cellular level. I think so, Valeria. I really yeah. do that there was a soul cellular, cellular mm-hmm. connection that I am not able to put words to. Absolutely. Have you come to try even to understand these separation way of thinking that a lot of human beings have. Have you tried kind of to comprehend that? Because I have not. I just kind of dismissed the whole thing. But I know although we can't, right, we need to talk about it and do what we can to bring that what life is again back to that wholeness, to the Mm -hmm. union. There's no separation. It's just an illusion of the mind. So have you tried to understand that at the level of the intellect, <laughs> the separation idea? <laughs> and when you say separation, do you mean separation in ethnicity, separation in... Yes, of all kinds, especially that one, um, this idea that we are different and because of our differences, then we are less than or whatever other um, concepts come with that. Yeah, it's something that I never understood. I was born in Brazil. We had, we have a lot of issues there, and um, and I could see that, but I could never understand. Maybe I have been always kind of trying or living from that place, the heart space. So I couldn't mm. see that. I couldn't see the separation between anything, men and women. Everything was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> this is beautiful. How wonderful to be here. This sense of gratitude would come before anything, any judgment. I don't know, Valeria, that I've tried to understand it at the level of intellect more than I experience it in my body. Mm, yeah, yeah. Experience separation. Uh, I experience it on physical level as it relates to the difference between being Black or African-American, yeah. other racial identities, uh, and ethnicities. Mm-hmm. I also experience it within the Black and African American community with the dominance of colorism right. and the impact that's had on our community of people. And while I don't necessarily understand it because it, it feels right as, as trite as I didn't get to choose my body mm-hmm. and 
And it also Uh, says, what if I did get to choose my body? mm. What if we did choose the bodies that we are in? So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. I want to mention the... um, a line on one of your blog posts, yeah, that's what I read, that really caught my attention. You, you write, my ask of you is to let people have their lives, whatever that is. Let people love freely and live freely. Release the need to impart your traditional thinking on someone else's life and honor the one you are being called to live. Hmm. I love that. It applies to everything and anything. Mm-hmm. And then I love that you said, it was another blog post where you write, kindness costs nothing. Who are you being kind today? How are you showing kindness to your inner self? So these are beautiful insights. I mean, everything else that we talked today was like, um, yeah, beautiful. Everything that has to do with elevated ways of thinking kind of catch my attention for some reason. <laughs> Not for some reason that the heart knows. <laughs> uh, only the mm. heart knows, really. <laughs> so do you want to make a comment about these two um, passages that I just read? Yeah, I know exactly where both of those came from. One that is about letting people live their lives came from a post where I wrote about having been in a relationship with a woman for the first time and the only time uh, in my life. There was a a five-year period where I was in a relationship, a same-sex relationship. And what I learned from that, so I had up until that point identified as heterosexual. And beyond that point, I identified as love. And that is the only woman I've ever been in a relationship in that way with. And so what I learned was that people get to have their lives and we don't have to label it. We don't to uh, qualify it. We don't have to explain it. We get to just live our lives. And Mm -hmm. what a beautiful planet this would be if we made space for people to have and to be able to choose their lives based on this question of what's the juiciest and their truest most beautiful life that I can live right now in this moment is from that. And Mm -hmm. if we all gave ourselves permission to do that and we gave each other permission to do that, what a powerful way we could live on this planet together. Thank you for all that you represent, Mia. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your wisdom, your presence, for being open. Thank you for everything. Thank you. And thank you for creating this space where we are able to be with each other and be connected with each other and have conversations that feel both universal and also a spiritual being to spiritual being um, and allowing other folks to listen in on these kinds of conversations. So I do have a few more questions for you. Let me see which ones I'll ask you. Yeah. What is success to you these days? How do you define success? Honestly, Valeria, itching from moment to moment. I... Today, for example, success was um, getting out of bed. Yesterday, I had a really hard time. Actually, this week, I had a really hard time getting out of bed before 10 a.m. And I'm an early riser. I get up at 5, sometimes 6 traditionally. I walk, I journal, uh, but I've been feeling sad over the last couple of days. 
And so success felt like both allowing myself to be sad and also allowing myself to the grace to forgive myself over those. It's not forgiveness that I needed, but I got to extend the forgiveness for judging myself for not being uh, able to do the things I would traditionally do. Mm, Success felt like, oh, I got up at 6 a.m. I love that. There's, uh, if we can do that more often, feel our feelings, yeah, let it be what it is, right? To show us the way. That's what it is. Yeah. Feelings and emotions, they're guiding us. That's right. He has a short poem that's called The Guest House. Oh, I love Rumi. that by Romy, yes. Yes, and Rumi writes about how we invite our feelings in as if they were strangers knocking on the door, mm, yeah. inviting them in, ask them to take a seat. Yeah. what they need and then let them go out the back door. So what is another word for healing? Another word for healing would be oneness, wholeness. Yes, oneness, wholeness, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. For sure, coming from that happy, joyful, elevated space. Yeah, that says yes to that for sure. Can you imagine what... It would feel like if we were all embodying oneness, mm. that not the separatism that is one that is within one, but literally that I am you and you are me and we are for and to each other, what we are to and for ourselves. Yeah, I think that that feels like healing. So let me see two more questions. I'll ask you this one. What are three things about life you wish everyone to know, to have, and to experience before they lose the body? This is good. One thing is that's coming up most prominently is that death, though it feels final, it is a part of our life. And when we lose the body to death, that we are a part of a greater experience. Um, There's something about death that I enjoy talking about Mm -hmm. and um, engaging with because I don't want to fear a thing that feels like it's as natural as eating. Right. And to to begin to shift our relationship with death, that's one. The second thing might be that we are worthy of juicy lives and worthy of being able to create and tell juicy stories about our lives. Um, and I think the last thing is gentleness and kindness mm. that deserve it and that the people on this planet deserve it and that it it's free. So before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your products, books, services, and future projects? Thank you for asking. And I would talk to you forever also. <laughs> uh, you can find more information about me and the work that I'm up to at www.miadunlap.com. You can also find me on Instagram at the audacity of Mia. And one project that I'm really, really excited about is a healing art center uh, where folks get to use art to tell their stories and to heal. And I'm excited about introducing that next project to, to the world. That sounds wonderful to me. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you, Mia. Bye for now.
Thank you for listening. To learn more about Mia Dunlap and her work, please visit miadunlap.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.